Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide story that affects you. And if you have been hanging out in Michigan, hopefully from a safe distance in your home this past week, you have noticed that things have been closing around you. We've got malls closing, restaurants closing, and one of the more impactful things might just be all of those cultural sites, museums, different types of gardens, things like that. They have also been closing around the state. And we couldn't think of a better person to talk about this subject than WDET's own Ryan Patrick Cooper, host of Culture Shift here at WDET. Ryan, welcome to Mishmash. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Ryan, over here in Grand Rapids, we have seen this sort of trend that I've been following where different types of cultural institutions like the Grand Rapids Art Museum, the Frederick Meyer Gardens, they are trying to do a lot of stuff online in order to sort of keep visitors engaged. They've been posting uh, virtual tours on Facebook. They've been doing talks with people. What are you guys seeing over on your side of the state? So here in Detroit, we're seeing the Detroit Symphony Orchestra be one of the first in the world to make their entire catalog of performances dating all the way back to 2011 free and open to the public. Normally, this costs $50 a year to have access to essentially a Netflix-like service for classical music, but they wanted to make it completely free. And Parsons, the president of the DSO, felt it was part of how musicians respond to crisis in general. When we canceled our first set of concerts, we said in our press release that normally when there's a crisis, the first thing that happens is the musicians come out and play and try to heal and be part of the recovery of whatever the crisis is. The horrible thing about this one is that we have been silenced in a way by not being able to convene because an orchestra is more than 50 people. And really, Shana, orchestras around the world were some of the first to really respond to this and say, we're equipped to be able to bring entertainment into your house because they've had to confront the reality of their aging audience for decades now. So they've gone digital really quicker and in a more advanced way than a lot of the arts and culture world has done. So they've been doing live streams. They've been bringing things into your living room uh, quite a bit. And it's it's just part of the reality. So they were really equipped to to make this transition quicker than most. And artists uh, outside of the musical world also doing this too. We spoke with uh, Jessica Kerr Moore on Detroit Today with Stephen Henderson. She's a poet uh, nationally known right here from Detroit. And uh, she says, you know, this is tough for a lot of artists. Everything I do is about the opposite <laughs> of social distancing. It's about how can I touch my people? But she also says that this could be a really prolific time for the arts. I think it's going to be a real creative time. I think a lot of things from artists are going to come out of this moment. So, Ryan, what do you think of that, the idea that we might actually see sort of a, a weird renaissance out of all this? That might be possible, but they'd still have to be employed. One of the things that we're already seeing is that the Met Opera in New York, which is the largest arts institution in the United States by budget, laid off all of their union musicians, chorus singers, and essentially their entire creative staff. Wow. So if musicians are able to survive this, yes, we may see a, a creative renaissance. And obviously that's only one field. But artists are taking a hit just like everybody else, like the service industry, like the auto industry, like every industry on the planet right now. So I hope there is a creative renaissance. And, and certainly it's it's ripe for that. 
But there are some things that people at home who appreciate the arts that they can do, right? There's, if you're thinking of different theaters, um, they've been asking people maybe to not ask for a refund on canceled shows. Uh, Museums are asking for donations. What are some other ways that people can contribute to make sure that these major institutions are still available when this epidemic sort of calms down? I think the Patreon model is a huge thing to look at. There's a lot of artists that you can directly contribute into their pockets. This is something that we've seen through Kickstarter and GoFundMe already. So I think the audience is primed to understand that concept of if you want the arts, you actually have to put money inside of it. And that's not just on an individual level. Cities and unions are doing this as well. Boston has started an artist relief fund. Uh, it's a small drop in the bucket, 500 to to $1,000 grants to help people that may be affected by the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, and also the American Guild of Musical Artists Relief Fund is available. If you're a good standing member, uh, you'd have some support there. But for a lot of people that aren't in a union, they are left dangling out in, in nothingness right now. Your shows were canceled. Your concerts were canceled. People are um, finding creative ways to do it, like buying merch from your favorite band. That's one thing that I've seen a lot of people advocate for. So, Ryan, when it comes to your point earlier about uh, digital tours, digital access to music archives, that sort of thing, what is your feeling about this mediated experience with art that instead of going and experiencing it live in person – what is the difference there? What are we losing when when it's mediated like that? Jake, it reminds me a lot of the conversation we started having when Instagram came out. It became a huge platform for artists to show their work and also sell their work. But then there was this counterpoint of that's not really the same experience. You know, you may be able to go see more of it online, but the effect of seeing a Van Gogh in person, it gives you those feels. That's mm-hmm. how you know the art is working, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily happen when you're sitting in your living room. Now, a lot of these things that have gone online are are wide ranging. Bands are doing guitar lessons online on Instagram. World-class chefs are doing cooking demonstrations. Even political rallies are going online. But these things have always been available. You've always been able to watch live concert streams online. Coachella, the massive festival in California, has been known for this. A lot of people don't go to the festival. They just sit at home and actually stream it. So we've always had access to this. There's certainly a new appreciation for it, and maybe that will elevate it. Maybe people will get something more from it when they're left with no other choice. One of the things that I'm hearing from the different sort of museum officials and the cultural sites officials that I've been speaking with here in Grand Rapids is that they want to offer these services for free because they they really believe in the arts and they're passionate about it. And they believe that it has the ability to help people through this coronavirus uh, pandemic that is going on. Talk a little bit about sort of why it's important for people to maybe go to the arts during this time. It's a massive release for people. This is therapy. You know, that's why they talk about art therapy. Uh, We're seeing this in in different ways, too. I mean, if you talk about the movie Contagion that came out in 2011, people are streaming that movie like crazy because a lot of people are getting a release from seeing something nuts, (laughs) something (laughs) they we haven't been through before on their TV. And when you think of a movie, that is one of the greatest examples of art. It takes film and lighting and technicians behind the scenes and acting. It puts them all in one place. So it really is an outlet. Also, I think it helps people feel connected. These concerts may be now being streamed in empty theaters and it looks very surreal. 
but I think it gives people a sense of normalcy. This is how things were. You could go to the museum. You had these options. So keeping them online is a huge component of that. So people still feel like there's that sense of normalcy. And I think a lot of organizations are using this time to say, we may not go back to the way it was. So these digital things that we've been talking about wanting to be better at for years, this is our time where we can actually figure it out. And I bet you it will become part of their regular operation in a more robust way when this all blows over. Just a quick aside about the idea of contagion and what we've heard about plague art. Some people are calling, read a piece in the Washington Post, uh, arguing that this is actually a very healthy behavior because these movies are about hope. They're about uh, people, uh, regular everyday folks overcoming some of the biggest challenges that they weren't prepared for uh, beforehand. Uh, And so that's why the writer of that article said this is actually a healthy behavior. Um, I did talk to a colleague who I had shown that article to who then said, uh, Jake, I watched Contagion over the weekend and it had exactly the opposite effect. So watch watch at your own peril. I do want to add something in here. You know, there is a lot of talk about the power of the arts. And I have to tell you, as an arts reporter, I understand that. But I think this is more dire than people realize on an economic level. A lot of times, Before this happened, we had to make the case that the arts are part of the economy, a massive multi-billion dollar part of the economy. That was a tough argument to make before the COVID-19 outbreak. Now it's even more difficult to make that case, but it is. And if you look at the idea of, okay, yes, you can have some art therapy by watching something in your house, that's fine. But let's look at the numbers. People that travel to go to art exhibits, art tourists, you know, spend double the amount on average that a regular tourist would. Okay, so people that travel for the arts are a huge part of the economy. When you can't actually go visit it, it's going to be a huge hit. So, yes, you're getting a release by having some of these things brought into your home. That is not going to help the bottom lines of the art institutions that are bringing it into your home. So have you been seeing anything that maybe gives you hope that uh, lawmakers or others are going to take the arts as an economic situation seriously? Have you been seeing maybe anything in Lansing that's addressing this? Or are you still kind of hoping that eventually they will get there and realize it? The city of Detroit has said that they're looking into it with their their new office that they established this year, the Office of Arts and Culture and Entrepreneurship that's led by Rochelle Riley, Um, Boston with the Artist Relief Fund. There have been guilds and unions that have been calling on Congress to include artist support in this. And I'm hopeful in the way that I always see the service industry and the arts very closely connected because they overlap so much. So I'm hoping that a lot of the support that we are seeing for small business and service industry bleeds into the arts. But we have to remember the National Endowment of the Arts was always constantly on the uh, cutting room floor for Donald Trump. He was always looking at cutting that from the budget. So Again, I think you're looking at an administration that has a tough time valuing the arts. I think you're looking at a perception uh, in the public generally that has a tough time understanding the economic impact of the arts. So what I'm saying is it's not a very hopeful time. Well, on that note, (laughs) Ryan Patrick Cooper, (laughs) co-host of Culture Shift here at WDET. Ryan, thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you. 